Uh, there'll be two readings this morning. The first one is Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. The next reading will be from John, chapter 8, verses 48 through 59. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one. He will, he will never see death. At this, the Jews exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet fifty years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones and stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipped away from the temple grounds. This is the word of God. Verse 51, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, our Father, we're going to think about some very deep and life-changing truths this morning. And so we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit for me as I preach, for all of us as we together sit under your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. If that is true, it's a very wonderful promise. Time is the shadow of death. I was working on this passage on a beautiful spring morning. We were in the Gower Peninsula, where we sometimes go in South Wales. The air was clean and pure. The sky was blue. The newborn lambs gambled in the fields, the cliffs, the sea. It was the morning of an idyll. But time ticks on, and before long it'll be blowing a gale, and there'll be sleet and cold, and time ticks on. I was reading just recently a poem by the Welsh poet Dylan Thomas. His birthday was in October, and on his 30th birthday he wrote a poem. It was called Poem in October. 
And he looks back to the spring and the summer blooming in what he calls blithe days, the wonder of summer and his childhood. And on that October day, as the weather changes from the weather of spring and summer and early autumn, and the wind blows cold and the rain falls, he writes, but the weather turned around. It turned away from the blithe country. And he sees in the turning behind him so clearly a child's forgotten mornings when he walked with his mother through the parables of sunlight. And as he remembers that childhood, the tears of that lost childhood burn his cheeks away, he says, but the weather turned around. And if you know something of the sadness of his life, spoilt with alcohol and debt and with an early death, you'll understand the poignancy of that. Time is the shadow of death, isn't it? Friends age, mums and dads age, they get sick, they get dementia, they die. Friends move away, we move away, and those are little deaths. And it's going to happen to you and me. Time ticks on. Time is the shadow of death. It's the only world we know, although we long for a better one. But here's the thing. I hope you'll forgive me if I say a word of personal confession at this point. Here's the confession. I hope you will think this is a good sermon. I do. I I hope that. I hope you'll think that I'm a good kind of person. And you say, well, on the Richter scale of embarrassing confessions from the preacher, that seems fairly mild. We were worried you were going to come up with something much worse than that. But it's true, I do think that. It matters to me what you think of me. Some of you, no doubt, are tomorrow doing some kind of presentation in your workplace. You hope that your colleagues, your peers, your bosses, your juniors, will think that it was a good presentation. It matters to you what they think of you. And you and I say to, to one another, well, I, I wish I didn't mind so much. I wish my ego wasn't so fragile, but it would be nice if it weren't, but it probably doesn't matter too much. But just supposing you were to say to me, Christopher, when you die, we're going to put this on your gravestone, cause of death. He died because he minded what people thought of him. I'd be inclined to say, oh, come on, that's over the top. He he died because he minded what people thought of him. Well, come with me. This is the last of a little series of John chapter 8, and it's a very hot debate between Jesus and his opponents. Uh, Some of them had believed in him, verse 31 but it turns out to have been a very superficial belief. And it's quite a short passage from verse 48 to the end. I want us just first to walk through it, uh, standing in the shoes of of Jesus' opponents, sympathetically, not just saying, oh, they're the baddies, they're silly, but I want us just to listen to the debate through their ears, as it were. So if you're asking one of his opponents to tell you about it, they'll say, that in the passage we looked at last week, this man, Jesus of Nazareth, was deeply offensive. And he said to us, he said, you are children of the devil. 
and we were deeply offended by that. It was such an offensive thing to say. And so we said to him, verse 48, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan, you're you're, you're outside of orthodoxy, you're a false teacher, you're a dodgy sort of person, and that you're demon-possessed? Isn't That's what people are saying about you, and, and that's right, isn't it? It's a slightly curious question, isn't it? It's a little bit like that question when you're flying to the United States and they ask you to fill in a form with questions like, were you complicit in the Holocaust? Doing that question, I was wondering quite what I'm supposed to say. Um, you know, thanks for asking, I'm sorry I forgot to tell you. You know, you wonder slightly. So when they say to, 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 to Jesus, you know, aren't we right in saying you're a, you're a Samaritan, you're a dodgy outsider and you're demon-possessed, did, did they really expect Jesus to say, oh, thanks, I forgot to tell you, yes, I am. <laughs> anyway, he didn't. <laughs> Verse 49, he denied being possessed by a demon, and then he said these some strange things about honoring his father and that we were dishonoring him. We didn't think we were. We thought we were just telling him the cold, sober truth about himself. And then he said, verse 50, that he wasn't seeking glory for himself, which was a good thing because we weren't going to give him any. But then he said, there's somebody who does seek it, and he's the judge. And then, verse 51, out of nowhere, quite randomly, he suddenly said, I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. So, of course, we exclaim, verse 52, now we know you're demon-possessed. You see that quite a lot in the Gospels. Back in chapter 7, the crowd says, you must be demon-possessed. On in chapter 10, they say he's demon-possessed, he's raving mad. You get it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He's, he's, it's by, by the prince of demons that he casts out demons. He's mad, he's demon-possessed. So that's what we said, and we said that, that's, that you must be if you say that. Because, verse 52, Abraham died. You know, let's pick the best person who did the right thing by God and trusted God. He died. The prophets died. All the good people died. Everybody died. But you say, if anyone keeps your word, he'll never taste death. Are you greater than him? Who do you think you are? They all died. Of course they did. Do you think he was absolutely mad, this man? So then he came back to the glory thing, verse 54. If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. We didn't know what he was talking about. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. You said I don't, you don't know him, if, but I do know him. If I said I didn't know him, I'd be a liar like you, but I do know him. We didn't know what he was talking about. And then he said this weird thing about Abraham, verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He was really looking forward to when I came. And he saw it, and he was really happy. So at that point, we thought, he is stark raving mad. We said to him, you're a young man. You're not even half a century old, and you and Abraham are mates. What do you think you're talking about? And he didn't miss a beat. Verse 58, he said, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was, before Abraham was born, I am. And we knew that that's how God talks about himself. I am who I am. The one who's eternally present, who is outside and beyond of time. I am. So it was too much for us. We picked up stones to stone him. You'd have done the same, but he slipped away. Now, you've got to admit that they've got a point. 
Isn't that right? I mean, that's, that's my reason of doing it from, from in their shoes. That if you and I had been there listening to that and we were morally and religiously serious people, we would have said the same, wouldn't we? We'd have picked up stones at the end of stone and we'd have said, this is outrageous, what are you doing? So here's the puzzle. And this is the puzzle, and I think this is going to unlock it. Just have a look. There are two things Jesus says, and he says each of them more than once. First, he says stuff about honor and glory. So verse 49, I honor my father, you dishonor me, I'm not seeking glory for myself. There's an honor-glory thing. That's the first thing he does. And the second thing is he talks about death or living a long time. So verse 51, very truly, whoever obeys my word will never see death. So he talks about death. And that doesn't seem to have any relationship to the honor and glory thing. All this stuff about honor and glory and honor and glory and honor and glory. Oh, by the way, if you, if you, if you keep my word, you won't see death. It just seems disconnected, doesn't it? Because if you've been a, a Bible reader for a while, you get so used to this in John's Gospel that you, you, you kind of think, well, Jesus sometimes randomly says God things just out of nowhere for no particular reason. So we, it just washes over us. But when you look at it, you think this is very odd. Honor, glory, honor, glory, dishonor, all this kind of stuff. Uh, if you keep my word, you won't see death. But then he comes back after the interruption. 52, 53, they interrupt him. 54, again, he comes back to the glory thing. If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father is the one who glorifies me. And then he comes back to the, the death thing. So 56 and onwards, he, he says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. So there's, there's a long time thing. And then at the end, he says, very truly, um, before Abraham was, I am. That's a sort of non-death kind of thing. So twice he says, very truly, 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 amen, amen, listen up, this is really important. And then he says something about death or non-death. And then he keeps saying the stuff about honor and glory, and they seem to be disconnected, don't they? You know, you read that and you think, well, what's going on here? So I'll tell you what I think is going on, and then we'll go through it again and see if we can make sense of this. Chapter 8 is the end of a section of John's Gospel that runs from chapter 5. Back in chapter 5, Jesus does a, a, a miracle, a wonderful miracle, and uh, in chapter 5, verse 18, he, 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 he said something about his relationship to God that makes them very angry because he's claiming to be equal with God. And they think equal with God means an equality that comes from being a rival of God, equality by successful rivalry of God, because that's the way the world works. If I say I'm your equal, it means you and I are both trying to build our empire and my empire's as big as yours. I'm doing as well as yours. That's what equality means in the world. And in chapter 5, Jesus explains that, that the kind of equality he's claiming is completely different. That the equality he's claiming is that there's a relationship between God the Father and him such that everything God the Father does, he does. He watches God the Father, and he does what God the Father does. He loves God the Father. He submits to him, and he gladly does exactly what the Father does. There's no rivalry, but there is equality. It's a wonderful and a beautiful picture. And chapters 6, 7, and 8, in a sense, 
unwind from that. And we're now reaching the the final section of this. And uh, I'll I'll tell you up front what I think it's about, and then we'll walk through it again and uh, see if you think this is right. Last week, um, Jesus said to them, the devil is a liar. He said other things as well, but he's a liar. And it takes us right back to the beginning of the Bible story in Genesis chapter 3, where the devil tells a lie. And he says to the first man and woman at the beginning of the human race, God isn't good. God's boundaries aren't valid. God's judgment isn't going to happen. And you can be like God. You can be rivals of God. There's God all stuck up and being God. And you can be like God. You can be rivals of God. You can be equal with God says the devil, right back in the garden. And when the man and woman believe that lie, they are expelled from the garden in the language of Genesis 3. And they're banned from going into the garden where the tree of life grows, which is, I take it, a picture of, 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 of life not touched by death. And from then on, they are outside the garden. Now, here's the thing. Outside the garden, it is each for his own. Outside the garden is the world we know, shadowed by death. But it's the world in which I want glory for myself, in which in my heart there is a minding quite a lot what other people think of me. I mind what people think of me so that when things go well and people praise me, I'm very pleased When things don't go well and people don't please me, I'm very sad. And both my pleasure when things go well and my sadness when they don't are a sign of what's in my heart, which is that I mind what you think of me. That's the same with you, isn't it? You look into your heart, the same thing. You mind what other people think of you. You mind whether they praise you. That's life outside the garden. That's life where I'm trying to be like God and you're trying to be like God. I'm building my own little empire. I'm at the center of my world. Last week, I think I quoted from the poet Gerard Manley Hopkins. Let me quote it again. He said this, Each mortal thing does one thing and the same. Deals out that being indoors each one dwells. It comes out, selves goes itself. Myself it speaks and spells, crying, what I do is me, for that I came. That's what we do. Myself, self, self, self at the center. That's, that's, I I mind whether people praise me. I mind my self-esteem depends on what you say about me. That's the world, it's the only world we know. It's the only world we really understand. But it's life outside the garden, and it is life that is shadowed by death. And there's a real sense in which, when each of us dies, you could put on the gravestone, cause of death, he, she, minded what other people thought of them, cared about it, cared about the praise of people, lived at the center of his, her own little world. That's life outside the garden. And the words of one American writer in his book, Ed Welch, people become big and God becomes small. 
And it's almost like a medical test. You know, sometimes the medics take a blood test and they look for some trace of something or other as an indicator of something. When you, when you look into your heart and you find some trace of minding what other people think of you, caring about the praise of people, it's, it's, a, it's a diagnosis of death. It's a diagnosis. It proves that I'm a man who lives outside the garden. And only when a man walks this earth whose whole heart is set on bringing honor to the Father is there a man who will walk inside the garden and who will be by the tree of life and who will be untouched by death. So let's walk through the passage again and we'll see if we can put this together and make sense of it. So they say to him, verse 48, aren't we right in saying you're you're a Samaritan? You're, you're, you're a false teacher, that's the content of your teaching, and you're demon-possessed. The source of it is demonic. You say that our father is the devil, we think your father is the devil. Two can play that heckling kind of game. And Jesus says, no, I'm not possessed by a demon, but what I do in my life is I honor my father. My big concern in life is to bring honor to God the Father, that people may know who he is, may know his goodness, his holiness, his character. I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. But in case you think I'm worried about that, says Jesus, I'm not seeking glory for myself. And we find that really weird. Because the honest answer all each of us has to give is, I am seeking glory for myself. I mind about glory for myself, and so do you. But the Lord Jesus says, no, I'm not seeking glory for myself. But it's not a false humility, because he goes on to say, there is someone who does seek my glory, and he's the judge. He's the one whose opinion counts. I don't really mind your opinion of me, he says. There is one person whose opinion of me I mind, and he's the father, and he's the judge. And then he says, I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never see death. And what he's saying, I take it, is this. I, Jesus, am walking inside the garden. I'm walking in fellowship with the Father. Because life inside the garden is life in which a son of God honors the Father and doesn't set himself up to be like God. Life inside the garden, life by the tree of life, is life in which... The concern of the Son is only for the glory and honor of the Father and not for his own honor at all. And therefore, he says, if you keep my word, I can bring you into the garden. I can bring you out of that dreadful time, darkened, shadowed world that Dylan Thomas lamented. I can bring you out of that world. I can bring you into the garden. I can bring you into the world where the Son loves the Father and honors the Father, and the Father honors and loves the Son. That's the world I'm going to bring you into. So they, of course, say, 52 and 53, you're mad. The only world we understand is the world outside the garden, which is the world where people die. And Jesus comes back to the glory thing, 54. If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. Here's the irony. Jesus says, if I was blowing my own trumpet, 
if I cared what you thought of me, if I minded that you praised me, it would have been an empty thing. So here's the irony. You and I live in a world shadowed by death, and there's something in us that wants to make a lasting mark. Isn't that right? I mean, we were just walking through Mayfair from where we'd parked the car, and we saw some of those blue plaques um, on, the, on, the, on the, the walls. Anthony Eden. Um, you know, did some of these famous people. And you think, well, I'd like to make a mark. I'd like to leave a legacy. I'd like to people, when I've gone, to, 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 to name something after me or, you know, say, you know, there's something lasting that, 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 that he left. There's something in us that wants to do that. But the irony is this. That longing is a wicked longing because it's a self-centered longing. It's a longing that I will be famous. It's a longing that somebody will make a statue of me. I mean, not literally, because most of us, that's not a likely outcome. But, but the people will remember us in some way. And the Bible consistently says that the strange thing about when people live in God's world without God, when they're wicked, is that even the memory of them will disappear. You get it in Job, you get it in the Psalms, even the memory of them is going to disappear. And people who were so desperately keen to make a mark are going to be, in the end, completely forgotten. They might be remembered for a while, but the time will come when the memory is completely gone. There'll be no memory of them at all. That's life outside the garden. So Jesus says, if I glorify myself, that's what's going on. It would, it would be an empty thing. But actually, it's my Father who glorifies me. And it is his glory that means everything to me. You don't know him. You claim to know him, but you don't know him. And the fact that you care about the praise of people is the evidence that you don't know him. So just keep a finger in John 8 for a moment. Just turn back to John 5 for a moment. Just back uh, three or four pages to John chapter 5. And have a look, if you would, with me at verse 44, where Jesus says, How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, but you make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? How can you believe? You you want praise from people. That's what you live for. You wake up in the morning hoping that significant people in your life are going to think well of you. That's how the world works. But you're not going to be able to believe in me if you do that. And turn on to to John 12, just so that I can... I just want to show you how this theme works out, because it's a very striking theme. Chapter 12, verse 42. Uh, At the same time, says John, the gospel writer, many, even among the leaders the Sanhedrin and and the the, the powerful people, believed in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they wouldn't confess their faith. They wouldn't come out in the open as followers of Jesus for fear they'd be put out of the synagogue because, verse 43, they loved praise from people more than praise from God. It's quite a theme. 
They loved praise from people more than praise from God. And therefore, they marked themselves as those who are outside the garden. It's an empty thing. And so Jesus talks about Abraham in verse 56. And he says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. That's why we had that reading from the letter to the Hebrews. Abraham believed the promises of God given to him those thousands of years before. And, and the gospel was preached to him in those promises, Paul says in his letter to the Galatians. And in Hebrews, we're told Abraham was looking forward to a city with foundations. He was looking forward to life back inside the garden. He was looking forward to how those promises would be fulfilled. He was looking forward to the day when a man would walk on earth who loved the Father, who submitted to the Father, whose only concern was to bring honor to the Father. And in, 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 by faith, in some way, he saw that day and he was very, very glad. That's what he was looking forward to. And that's why Jesus says in, in the punchline 58, before Abraham was born, I am. I walk in fellowship with the Father. And therefore, I cannot finally be touched by death. He will be killed. And we're going to remember in the Lord's Supper in a moment what he achieved by his death, dying for sinners so that sinners could be forgiven. And so that the Holy Spirit, whom we remember on this Pentecost Sunday, could be poured into the hearts of all followers of Jesus. But the only reason he could say that is that his concern was to bring honor to the Father. So, friends, when I say to you with a twinkle in my eye, I hope you'll think this is a good sermon, we smile and laugh as if it's a trivial thing, but actually it's a very serious thing. It's a terribly serious thing that in my heart, as in yours, there is that desire for the praise of people. Because that desire for the praise of people marks us as men and women outside the garden. And only when a man walks inside the garden who loves God with a pure heart can that man have the authority to say, if you keep my word, as I keep the Father's word, I can bring you into the garden. I can bring you into fellowship with the Father and the Son. And even though you may die physically, you will not taste and see death ultimately. Because you too will walk in fellowship with the Father and the Son. And that will be a wonderful, wonderful thing. So friends, I want us to thank God for Jesus. For the wonder of this man who walked in fellowship with the Father. Who cared only for the honor of the Father and the praise of the Father. Who cared nothing for the praise uh, uh, of people. The wonderful thing. The wonderful thing. And it means he has the authority to bring us into the garden. But it's more than that. Because as we become followers of Jesus, by the spirit of Jesus living in us, we begin to find in our hearts shoots of longing for the honor of God. In, our, in this age, they'll always be mixed with selfish motives. We will we'll always care too much for what other people think of us. But in our hearts, there will begin by the Spirit of Jesus to be a genuine longing that God will be honored through our lives. And that is a wonderful thing. And it's, it's, it's evidence 
in some way that the Lord Jesus is bringing us into the garden and that we walk with access to the tree of life in fellowship with the Father and the Son. Friends, I don't know if I've explained that clearly or not, but let me finish with a little um, poem which... uh, it's not particularly good poetry, but it's good truth that used to be sung as an old chorus in, in years past. And it goes like this. So near, so very near to God, I cannot nearer be, for in the person of his Son, I am as near as he. So dear, so very dear to God, more dear I cannot be. The love wherewith he loves the Son, such is his love to me. Amen.